Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Anchor Point online service this morning. So happy that you could be here with us. If you're new or just checking out our sermon series online for the first time, a special welcome to you. Thank you for coming. Uh, look forward to hopefully the time where we can meet each other in person. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh, and this is my son, Remy. Uh, we've been going to Anchor Point for about five and a half years now. been privileged to serve in a variety of ways to call Anchor Point our, our family. Uh, we love you. Yeah, that's right, buddy. We love you guys. We miss you guys. For those of you who have been giving, just a, a big heartfelt thank you for continually to faithfully and generously give. Uh, for those of you who are wondering or considering about how to give still through COVID, uh, you can g- give an e-transfer at giving at apalliston.com. Hope you guys have a great, great morning this morning. We love you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. Bye for now. Good morning. My name is Andrew Wilcox, and I'm going to be reading the scripture for this morning's message out of Luke 4, 1 through 14. The temptation of Jesus. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. Hey guys, good morning, what's up? If I've not met you before, my name's Tom, and I'm I'm really glad that you're choosing to hang out with us this morning. I'm humbled as um, you're tuning in as I'm going to teach us from God's Word today. So wherever you're at, whoever you are, hello, and I'm glad you're here with us. And so those of you guys who have been tracking along with us as a part of our community here at Anchor Point, or maybe you've just been tuning in um, in the podcast form or on watching us on YouTube, whatever that may be, you, you, you would know <clears throat> that last week we finished our series in the book of Ephesians that we called All Things New. And I ended with this um, thought about um, how crisis is an unlikely doorway that leads us into the presence of God and how God uses situations like that to draw us to himself. And that's often confusing and counterintuitive, but how even what we're living through right now um, globally and, you know, here in our country and as individuals 
is something that is an invitation for us to actually depend on God and come to God in a greater capacity. And so today, my hope is to kind of bridge us between that series and our next series. Now we're starting next week, um, where we're going to do a study through the letter to the Hebrews. And we're asking the question, how do we persevere even when we're exhausted? And the, the title of the series might be a little bit of a hint, is Looking to Jesus. And so today, <clears throat> I'm going to continue on with like maybe another element or dimension to this whole idea of crisis um, or transition. And we're going to look at that through asking the question, why the wilderness? And I, I have never been to the desert myself, like the literal wilderness. Um, and maybe you have. It, it looks really amazing and beautiful. And it looks like a really cool place to visit. You know, my wife and I have actually talked about you know, once things open up, actually going and visiting Joshua Tree National Park, which is in the desert. But that's like a quick visit and it, it's going to be in a nice Airbnb. It won't just be like walking through blazing hot sun and sleeping out in the, you know, without shelter or something like that. But <clears throat> I'd suggest to us that in some capacity over the last year and a bit, we have been living through a, a type of wilderness, um, culturally, individually, globally, as we've been isolated, as we've had to social distance, as work has changed, as school has changed, as relationships have changed. There are definitely elements and aspects of the wilderness experience that we have, in fact, been living through. And so why, though? Why, why the wilderness? Is there a point to it? Sometimes I can just feel exasperating and like, what the heck? Is the point of all this and why are we doing this and i'd like a, to, to i'd like to start just with us reflecting with that in mind like reflecting on the gospel and so for us who are following jesus we you know we we gather around and we rally around the good news of jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and so how we talk about the gospel here we say the gospel is the good news that god our father out of his undying love for us has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, and death, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish his kingdom in and through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the implications of this good news are far-reaching, but I want to just zero in on one thing in particular as we start our, our conversation today. <clears throat> I'd like to zero in on um, this whole idea of what we learn from the scriptures that it, in in Jesus coming and and living a perfect life of dying the death we deserved, of defeating death through the resurrection, of ascending back to the Father's right hand, he's been enthroned above all powers, above all authorities, above all dominions. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so part of his announcement of the kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven coming onto the kingdom of earth or taking up its residence in us as his followers is this whole idea that we have to lay down our own um, rulership of our lives and trust him for his. And so there's this ongoing process of surrendering our idea about what is right, surrendering our agenda, surrendering our own desires, surrendering our own definition of good and evil, and trusting him for his. And so Jesus becomes, in, in us stepping into the kingdom, Jesus becomes the king. Because we talked about this last week. This is Mark Sayers' brilliant line. We as individuals, you know, probably always, but now more than ever, we want 
the kingdom without the king. So we want all the benefits without the authority of Jesus. We want to be our own autonomous little beings. We want to do our own thing without any um, accountability or having to be obedient in any way. But paramount to our understanding of the gospel as individuals and as a community, as a church, is that we are under the rulership and reign of Jesus. That he is now the king of kings and lord of lords over all creation and over all the cosmos, but also over our lives. And so we often live in this place of rebellion against that, and that, that leads to all kinds of pain and, and suffering and, and difficult things. But what, what we see, <clears throat> or how we would, an easy way to paraphrase this idea, is that we are actually followers of Jesus. So the gospel of Jesus produces followers of Jesus. And years ago, I went to this um, skate park, and uh, it was a church that had a skate park out front. And the only reason I went was because the skate park was the best. I was really into skateboarding, and the deal was you could skate there for free if you listened to a sermon from one of the leaders there. And it's actually one of the messages from, you know, I was probably 14 at the time. It's it stuck with me forever. And so I've used this analogy before, um, but the guy speaking, he said, imagine if after this um, message, I came up to you, we were chatting in the lobby and I said, hey, let me take you out for lunch. I know this new place, you've never been there. It's amazing. Let me take you, my treat. All I want you to do is just to follow me there. And so you kind of are like, okay, I'm in the blue pickup truck and you, um, what, car, what car do you have? And so you kind of come to find his car, but then on the, as he's backing up, you decide, no, you know what, I'll just go ahead. I think I'll be able to figure it out myself or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll follow him from in front of him. So you kind of pull in front of the speaker. And so from then on, you're trying to follow him from being in front of him. You're trying to follow him while leading him or giving the idea that, or you're under the illusion that you're actually leading him. And so you, you know, you're able to make the first turn with him because you can just see in your rear view mirror that he's turning right, so you're gonna turn right. And then you, you drive for a while, you're struggling to kind of look in your rear view mirror to see as he's changing lanes, which way to go. And all of a sudden you look back and he's turned left and you have to circle back to try to find him. But it's a great analogy and picture. And it, it stuck with me because that's a tendency I have is to try to lead my, in, my, in my foolishness. I think I can lead Jesus. I think, no, no, Lord, just follow me to what I want to do. You know, I know how to get to that place, that new restaurant or that new place or that, that you're, essentially your kingdom better than you do. And that's a painful process. But all that to say, as, as people who are professing to be Christians, professing to be followers of Jesus, are you actually following Jesus would be my question. So that's where I want us to start our conversation this morning. So as we read earlier, as, as Jesus was affirmed, as, as he was baptized, as the heavens opened up and the Father said, hey, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, anointing him, an unlikely thing happens. You know, you think after that public affirmation, which all of us love to some degree, there's going to be some party, some, you know, celebration. But it's interesting, right away, what happens? God's Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days and 40 nights. The Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And so I would like to um, present an idea that as we follow Jesus, as we take that more seriously, as we want and long to be filled with God's Spirit and live lives in the power of the Spirit, that we cannot avoid the wilderness experience. We can't avoid the desert experience. It's part and parcel of following him. 
but it's not without purpose. It's not without reason. And sometimes that's where we can get stuck is what is the point of this? You know, even with what we're living through right now, what is the point of social distancing and all that kind of stuff? And, um, but, but I would like to, again, there's, there's a reason behind this. God uses situations like this for our good and for his glory. And so what we're going to do today, um, just to kind of further this thought is we're going to think through and process through the story of Moses and the Israelites and look at a few things that they learned from God in their own wilderness and desert experience. Sound good? All right, I'm trusting you said yes from wherever you're listening. So the, let's just briefly go over the story of Moses. Um, and so if you've you know grown up around the scriptures, if you've grown up in any Sunday school format, or you, you would have heard the story probably multiple times, but let's just go through it as if we've never heard it before. So Moses is an, an Israelite who actually grows up in the household of Pharaoh or the ruler of Egypt at the time. And so Moses has a unique upbringing, um, one that's more privileged. And in that process, I think Moses probably developed this psyche or this, this worldview that he was above other people. He was, he was, he was you know, rightfully able to judge and to kind of exercise his authority or express his intelligence or whatever that might be, his own natural gifting or abilities over the lesser people of the Hebrews or even house, people in the household of Pharaoh. And so Moses one day is out walking around the kingdom and he sees um, a Hebrew and Egyptian in, in some type of scuffle, disagreement, and Moses being a Hebrew himself comes to the, the defense of the Hebrew and ends up killing the Egyptian. And so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. It's a pretty severe showing of what he thinks is his own, his own righteous judgment and a, a leadership in that, in that space. And so interestingly enough, um, the, the next day he's out walking and he sees two Hebrews fighting and he goes to the one who's at fault. He's saying, Hey, why, why are you doing this? And then the, the Hebrew responds, Hey, are you going to kill me? Like you killed that Egyptian the other day. And all of a sudden Moses is found out. And so Moses in that space, when we're found out, when we're exposed, what we often do and what Moses did is he fled to the wilderness. He went and, and hid. And so <clears throat> I'd like to just read a brief like overview. Um, this is from a book called Wasteland by Mike Pilavachi. This is just his kind of summary of the desert or the wilderness. He says, the desert is a dry place. Nobody goes to the desert in search of refreshment. The desert is an inhospitable place. It is not comfortable. The desert is an incredibly silent place. There are no background noises, no distractions to lessen the pain. The desert is the place where you have to come to terms with your humanity, with your weakness and fallibility. The desert is a lonely place. There are not usually many people there. But above all, and let's, let's listen to the good news here, the desert is God's place. It is the place where he takes us in order to heal us. As I'm reading that statement about the desert, does anything like resonate from even the last years of your life or maybe the last few months or weeks even where you, you kind of, Maybe you feel like you're in that same type of wilderness or desert experience. You feel like it's very lonely, that it's, it's dry, that it's, it's too still actually. There's nothing to distract yourself with. You're, you're being faced with things that you don't even want to face. Things that have been submerged are starting to kind of reemerge. Thought, things that you thought you had dealt with maybe in your past are coming back to kind of present their ugly head again. I know I have over the over the past little bit, but that last little bit from Mike Pilavachi's quote, the desert is God's place. Do we think that? Do we realize that? Do we understand that there's nowhere we can go away from God's presence? There's nowhere we can flee from his presence. 
But God, it's, it's not only that God is there. God actually takes us there for a purpose and a reason. It's not just, eh, whatever, they're just out there. But God meets us there for a purpose. He takes us there to heal us. And so we see this in the story of Moses as it goes on. So 40 years later, of 40 years of living in the desert, um, he's out, you know, probably with some sheep or some type of livestock. And one day, something different happens. He's out there probably on his normal walk. And all of a sudden, there's this bush that's on fire. But it's not only on fire, there's a voice that actually speaks out of it. And it's actually the voice of God. So Yahweh is speaking to Moses. And they have this incredible conversation where essentially God says, hey, Moses, listen, I'm going to send you back and you're going to lead your people, the Hebrews, out of captivity in Egypt. He gave him a new mission. And so if we if we rewind back to Moses' old way of thinking, he thought himself the judge. He thought himself above others. He thought himself like having the ability in, naturally innately within himself to kind of rule his people. And so you'd think he'd probably hop at that opportunity. But Moses actually says, no, I, I, I can't. Lord, I, who am I to do such a job as this? There's no way I can do this. So what happened? You know, what happened in that 40 years is we see that Moses actually came to the end of himself. And in doing so, he actually discovered the beginning of God. Or in his own ex- knowledge and experience of God, there's this beginning of where, where I'm ending, God is beginning. And then you probably see that he's filling in all and all and all those types of beautiful truths. But um, so in this in this interchange, God goes on to, to, to reassure Moses, hey, listen, I'm going to go with you. And then all of a sudden that changes the conversation because you see Moses was was faced with his own weaknesses and inadequacies, his own brokenness, his own fallibility. And so to know that, okay, it's not me that has to do this. Actually, God is going to go with me. And in this process of being in the wilderness, actually, he's dealt with these things. He's emptied me of things that don't need to be there so he can fill me with himself. Moses came to the end of himself and in doing so discovered Yahweh. So Moses miraculously leads the Israelites out of captivity and, and on this journey to the promised land. And it's all about him going to the leader of the, of the Egyptians and saying, listen, let my people go so that we can go worship God in the wilderness and, and eventually go to the promised land. So there's, God is calling Israel to himself. God is saying, hey, listen, there's this promised land. Remember we were talking about last week, there's this goal of God that he's had since the beginning to, to fill all in all to be close to us, to be in relationship with us, to have his presence fill up the whole earth. And so God is wanting to meet with his people. He's wanting to be one with them. And in this process, we have to remember that the story goes that Israel is actually in captivity to Egypt for 400 years. And so, you know, I've lived in Canada now for, this will be my um, 14th year. And there are obviously things that I've adopted in living here for 14 years that I didn't, you know, that weren't part of my psyche or my, even my vernacular, my vocabulary, my mindset that have changed since living here. Like I think about weather differently. I think about politics differently. There's so many things I think about differently living here for only 14 years. So imagine, you know, a culture of people living somewhere in captivity for 400 years, their mindset, their thoughts about God, their thoughts about themselves, how they process things, how they just communicated would be um, a a mindset of of slavery or of captivity. And so um, Mike Pilavachi in this book has this great line. He says, the easy part was getting Israel out of Egypt. The difficult part was getting the Egypt out of Israel. And that's such a brilliant line. If we think about ourselves as we are 
learning and discovering the good news of the gospel that God has actually delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. There are definitely old thought patterns and a way that we perceive God and the world and one another that need to be changed. And so that's this whole process of, of spiritual formation, of being transformed into the image of Jesus. And so we see this in a snapshot in the people of Israel, that there's going to be things that need to be undone and unlearned and reformed. And in, interestingly enough, that process is in this storyline, in this narrative, is, is a place. The process is a place. It's a spiritual place. It's the desert. And so when we're thinking about Jesus and this whole idea that he was filled with the Spirit and how we are happy to receive, we pray for this often, Lord, fill us up with your Spirit. There's this transition transition of being filled with the Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit. And if we go back to the story that we read from Luke, um, you could break it down in, in a formula. Not that we want to be formulaic about God, but in that storyline, it seems this to be the case, that um, the Spirit of God, the filling of the Spirit of God and the leading of the Spirit of God plus the wilderness experience equals the power of the Spirit or returning in the power of the Spirit. So there's this process that we have to go through, and that's most often this place of the wilderness where God works things out of us. The desert is the place where God prepares you and forms you. It is his place, and the good news is that he waits for you there. So here are three key, here are three key things Israel learned that we have the opportunity to learn ourselves as we walk through our own wilderness experiences. Because I think it's true, and we'll come to bear that this won't be the only wilderness experience we have. So how do we lean into it rather than oppose it and kind of put you know Ugh, I don't want to go through this, whether it's now or in the future, or maybe it's going to help be helpful in processing some of your past. The first thing um, we learn in the the story of uh, the wilderness that the Israelites go through is this whole, um, this key of humility. And so let's read from Deuteronomy chapter eight. This is actually Moses speaking to the people of Israel after they've come into the promised land or when they're about to go into the promised land. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. And here's, here's the key part, part to listen to, to humble you. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, interestingly enough, quotes this um, passage to Satan as he's being tempted. Um, unfortunately, guys, this, this may come as a shocker to you, but... The lesson of humility is never an easy one to learn. It's never easy or fun to be humiliated or to learn humility. There's this, you know, mantra that we kind of live with these days. And it's like, hey, man, listen, you do you. You do you. And what we see in the scriptures, especially when we look at the story of Jesus, that's actually the inverse of what he's calling us to do. He's saying, listen, I'm calling you to actually die to yourself. And I listened to a Francis Chan message this week that was so good. He talks about this whole idea that that what, where we're living and where things are going wrong and where we're staying immature and where we're not being transformed is where we're just living with that whole idea of, I can just do me. And then there's this sense of pride that just keeps building and building and building. Where Jesus' invitation is, hey, listen, die to yourself. Because in dying to yourself, you become who you really are in me. 
which is going to be infinitely better in the long run anyway. So there's a scripture that pops up three times in the Bible, once in Proverbs, once in James, and once in 1 Peter. And it's this phrase, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's a harsh truth, guys, but we have the choice of either humbling ourselves or God humbling us. And so this process of the wilderness, this going out and facing our own weaknesses, coming to grips with our own fallibility, working through and, and processing things where there are no spaces for distraction. We can't just numb the pain anymore. We come to the end of ourselves. But this is good news because as we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God, just like we were talking about with Moses. And we realize that if we don't have him, we don't have anything. If we don't have him, we don't have anyone, anything. See, God leads us all the way into and all the way through the desert or wilderness to humble us. He doesn't leave us there. He walks it all the way through with us. Because proud people in the kingdom are dangerous people. They end up destroying more than they build. So the first thing we learn in this narrative is that we are, are invited into this whole process of becoming humble. The second thing we learn is how to praise. Let's read again. This is from Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 14. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you you out from Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Have you guys noticed um, here in Canada that, you know, weather is an easy go-to topic, and I'm probably guilty of this, and I'm sure you are, I'm indicting you right now, but I'm just kidding. But there's this, there's this funny thing living here for a bit now, and so every change of season, so say it's, say it's the wintertime, man, it is, I'm so done with the cold. You know, everyone's kind of grumpy and, and whining about, um, the winter time and the, the snow and you know and I've, I've I'm so sorry for the millions of times I've done this probably to most of you guys but the funny thing is then summer comes and everyone's been talking about it, everyone's so excited and the first day it's like 30 degrees everyone's like oh my gosh it's so hot and it's like they can't even it's like we're, we're not we're never happy and so the point is like it's it's always easier to complain than to be thankful and we see this in the story of the Israelites. They're complaining about, you know, how they miss Egypt because they could get onions there and garlic and melons. And they're just complaining. Like, God just delivered you out of slavery, dudes. And you're complaining that you don't have garlic and onions. But we do this all the time. And so the second thing that we learn how to do, and it's, it's not easy. The, the second invitation we have to learn is, is, is how to turn all of these situations that we're going through into praise. God, you're with me even when I can't see it. God, you are faithful. And God, I mean, God provided miraculously for these guys over and over and over again and manna and, and water and all kinds of stuff. But what we see here is, and what I want us to glean from this is that as disciples, as real followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to worship when it hurts. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, even like the last few months as, as things have gone back and forth between gathering sizes and everything, like the sweetness of just worshiping, even when it's just 10 of us, even when it hurts. 
We can't gather as a full congregation, as a, a big family right now, but we're learning to worship when it hurts. We're learning to worship when it's just 10 of us or eight of us or you know five of us on Zoom as we're praying together. And this is, this, these are good things that we are learning because as we learn to pray and process and praise God when it's difficult, the hope is that that transfers to when it becomes more glorious and we can all gather together and there are more people. And not that it's all about that, but just when it becomes you know, relatively easier than things are right now because it's undeniably more difficult than it has been in the past. The truth is that God is good all the time. So there's always a reason to worship him and to praise him. And this is where, you know, scripture comes into play so heavily, guys, as we, you know, even when we don't even have the words ourselves to process or to 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 see that God is good, we can rely on, on the story of scripture. We can rely on the stories that we have of our own life with God and others, the other friends of ours and in our community, their examples of God being faithful in their lives as well. When we learn to praise him when we have nothing, we won't forget to praise him when we have everything. This week in, in uh, you know, our, my, one of my study groups, um, one of the guys was talking about how his hope now is to turn everything he's, he's, he's reading on Facebook or that's causing anxiety in the news or just difficulties in his life, just turn that all into prayer and then turn that into praise. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the, the lesson that we, we have the opportunity to learn in the desert is to learn how to praise and worship in the midst of the difficulties. The third thing is this, this invitation to intimacy. The first aspect of that is in, in the desert place, we discover ourselves. We come face to face with who we really are. And this can be a really, man, like a difficult experience. You know, I think as things are kind of just using the desert picture as there's not really much else around, there's nowhere to hide. It's sparse. There's no noise. You're sweaty. You're exposed. And that can be, you know, we, 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 we as fallen humans, our tendency is to try to cover up and hide and pretend that we're better than we really are and, and present ourselves as more lovely than we really are. Um, there's nowhere to hide. And, and in that process, we're, we're, we often hear the voice of shame come in. Like, you are worth nothing or how God doesn't really love you. And we talked about this a few weeks ago in the, in the whole idea of um, the helmet of salvation and how the enemy often comes in and says things like, you're not even really saved or stuff like that. And this is another, in the desert, you know, Jesus is, is, is being tempted by the devil all the way through. And that, that whole idea for us where we're actually coming to grips with who we really are. And so there's these voices that tell us we are worth nothing. And so in that, that place of, of, of quiet, God actually wants to speak to you the truth of who you are. As you kind of do come to grips with your own brokenness and, and fallenness, he wants to replace that with the truth of how much he loves you, even still. In spite of those things, he, he loves you still. The wilderness, what it does, guys, is it slows us down to a pace where God can actually love us because we're always running around trying to perform for God or trying to busy ourselves. And it's like, hey, just come here and slow down and let me love you. We can't perform for God's love in the desert. We will have to learn just to receive it. The wilderness does something else. It shows us the depths of our own sickness and our own need for healing. The depths of our emptiness and the futility of the broken cisterns we dig to fill up, to go, go back to rather than God. And so there's all this stuff that we learn about ourselves, excuse me, learn about ourselves in 
the desert experience. So we discover things about ourselves, but here's the best part. We discover things about God. This is from Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, this is God speaking. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Her being the church or her being the people of God. You see, I don't know if this has been your experience, but even for me, like you guys know, some tough stuff has gone on in my life the last year and a bit. And I think... Over the last year and a bit, I think God, as I've processed some of these things in the wilderness and the desert, I've never felt God's voice so tenderly and his, his, him speaking directly to things that I didn't even really know were there before that had been exposed, him tenderly speaking his love to me in that wilderness, alluring me. Hey, you can trust me. You can trust me. I've been here all along. You know, all these things that that were just like salve to some wounds that I had. His comfort is often the most sweet in the most painful times. And I think we probably all have examples of that in our story of, of following Jesus and living life in this fallen, broken world. You see, in the desert, all the other voices are stilled and we learn to listen to God. We learn to listen for God. You see, when we really love someone, we're willing to be with them anywhere. And that's what God is. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm calling you out here to, to, to kind of like to allure you. To, do you love me? Let, me? let me teach you how to love me. Let me show you. And I remember, you know, I would still do this, but I remember when I first was, was dating my wife, I would go anywhere with her. And she would go to like craft stores or bead stores, Michael's, like just, you know, just, I would go anywhere with her because I just wanted to be near her. And I think that's in this process of walking this through with God in the wilderness of discovering who God is really like, there's going to become a, a greater willingness for us to go wherever with God. I'll follow you into the, are you going to be there? I'll go. Let's go. As long as you're going to be there, I'll go with you. And then we're faced with this question towards the end of this experience of, of, of just, will we allow ourselves to learn to love and be loved by this great God? That's the question we're left with there. All of this, guys, is to teach us this ongoing intimate dependence on God. And intimate dependence leads to moving in the power of the Spirit, which is what we were talking about in the beginning, what we see in the example of Jesus's life there. This is from Song of Songs, verse eight, verse, chapter 8, verse 5. And this is the picture I want us to kind of end with as we think about walking through the wilderness with with God. Who is that coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? That's the goal. As we emerge from this wilderness experience leaning fully on God, not on ourselves. As we've been humbled, as we realize we're not really as, you know, as great as we thought we were in most cases. Yet we learn that God is with us and faithful and we can praise him in the midst of difficult times, and then we can also learn and discover God's heart and our own heart in the process, and then emerge just fully dependent, knowing God is is worth following into anything, knowing his love, knowing that we're loved, and learning to love from that place. God wants us to relearn how to live, right? Like, just like the Israelites, he wanted to get the Egypt out of the Israelites. He wants us, he wants to get the kingdom of darkness out of us so that we can live fully in the kingdom of light, live as a son or as a daughter. So in summary, guys, why the wilderness? Because there are no shortcuts to Christ-likeness. 
You see, the goal of the wilderness is Jesus. If we think about the whole, our whole life is to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to be with Jesus. And then ultimately our, our hope and our longing should be and can be his return. Uh, we want to spend eternity with God. And that's, that's his plan is to come and remember to return and to form a new heaven and a new earth with this city, the new Jerusalem with himself at the center and all of us together in perfect unity and harmony and all things are new. There's no more tears and just beauty, incredible beauty. That's what we're going for here. And so the goal is to become like Jesus and to learn to live with him right here, right now, as we journey towards this eternal destiny that we have in him. And so <clears throat> Jesus's goal, even in his, his whole life on earth here, was to, was to um, obey the Father completely and totally. And in doing that, there is this transformation and salvation that occurs for the entire human race. And so Hebrews 12, 2 says it this way, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand before the throne of God. Our goal, guys, is to follow Jesus um, into the, the wilderness, in this case. We're willing to step into the wilderness experience, to be humbled, to, to learn how to praise him despite our circumstances, to learn how to be intimate with him, to come face to face with our own brokenness and our own need for a healing and our own need for a savior. And in doing so, come face to face with this healing God, this God who is our great physician, this God who wants to heal up and bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. This is the God we come into contact with in the desert. So our goal as disciples, guys, is those of us who are actually saying, hey, I'm following you, Jesus. You don't have to follow me. I'm following you. I'm learning to do this day after day is to continually step into that process of transformation to work, to be with Jesus, wherever that may lead, to, to become like Jesus as we lay down our old way of living and thinking and to do what he did all in the power of the spirit. So guys, I want to close with just a prayer for us that we would learn to long for Jesus, to follow him wherever he may lead us, that his spirit would truly fill us and not only fill us, but empower us so, so that we could live lives just like Jesus did. So would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, we're humbled this morning at your faithfulness. We're humbled, Lord, that you walk with us through the desert. You provide a way, Lord. You lead us through for a purpose. Lord, I thank you that your thoughts are higher and your ways are better. Lord, that you love us so much that you want us to be transformed. You don't want us to stay living like captives or slaves. You want us to live like sons and daughters. And so right now I ask for those of us who are listening, that Jesus, that our eyes would be open to a real vision and picture of who you really are and what, what you're really about, Lord. Forgive us for the ways that we've tamed you and made you more into our image than, than vice versa, where you want to make us into your image. Holy Spirit, would you give us the, the wisdom and the, um, the grace to follow Jesus into the desert, even when it's difficult. That we would, as we're, and a lot of us are already in the middle of the wilderness, help us to see what God is doing in the midst of it. Help us to lean into what he's wanting to do. And Lord, may our eyes come off of ourselves and may we learn more and more every day to look to Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need your help to do that. Come fill us up afresh. 
And we pray like John at the end of Revelation. We're waiting for you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in your beautiful name. Amen. All right, guys. Hope you have a great day and I bless you. And I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Make sure you tune in next week as we launch our, our uh, Looking to Jesus series. Have a great day, guys. Lots of love.